It's so great to finally meet you for the first time, by the oh, way. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Keep the uh, quid pro quo on the Lolo. Got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just was leaving right now. Uh, hang on, I, I just want to go on the record and say, you guys need to lay off my boy. Everybody loves his ass. Thank you. Ukraine, Russia. That's enough, that's enough. They'll do anything for this man. Oh. I know, I asked. All right. I gotta go. In conclusion, no quid pro quo. Oh, there, there definitely was. And live from New York, it's, it's Saturday night. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 45, Episode 7 of SNL with host Will Ferrell and musical guest King Princess. I'm John Murray and I'm joined this week by comedy aficionado and generally affable bloke, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. Enjoy the following selected highlights from this week's discussion. And if you'd like to hear our full-length, ad-free, sketch-by-sketch review, it's available exclusively for our patrons at patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. It's our patrons who make the cast possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already come on board. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. All right. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Will So, we've known since the summer that Eddie Murphy was going to be hosting the Christmas episode, but there were a lot of blanks in between that we finally got some confirmation on. So, we know the rundown. We know the full December rundown. Uh, December 7th, we're getting Jennifer Lopez with musical guest Da Baby, and December 14th, Scarlett Johansson with musical guest Niall Horan. Uh, that's it. That rounds out 2019, and uh, yeah, hoping for a, a great December run. Open for it. Beautiful. Okay. With that out of the way, let's uh, check in on our Patreon pledge drive. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. We are 37 patrons away from our year end goal. So I would encourage any of our listeners that are inclined to support us to head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast and check out our new $2.99 per month tier. Uh, that tier gets you all of our season 45 coverage, full length ad free episodes, uh, earlier access. It comes out uh, at least a day before the, the public version comes out. So please head over there. Cause, uh, if we can hit that goal by the end of the year, then we can continue to plug forward for the, uh, the rest of season 45. And I'm, I'm hopeful that our listeners will come through for us in that regard. Yeah. Uh, we'll leave it at that. But before we jump into the show, I do want to offer a shout out to some of our newest patrons, Michael Dodd from Bothell, Washington, Molly Mullen from Greensboro, North Carolina, Antonia still from Freiburg, Germany, Randy Amodio from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Megan Husk of Toronto, Ontario to all of our newest patrons and to all of our patrons. Thank you so very, very much for your support. I love Toronto. (laughs) We get some, uh, Thanksgiving themed fare here. We get a live sketch. Pocahontas grandfather struggles to find common ground with John Smith. And, uh, if you've got Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph in the house, you got them for the full night. So they show up as Pocahontas parents. Well, I'm hoping you agree with me on this because I was watching this and i felt like this was kind of like classic old school Mm. saturday night live and not just because we had uh fred armison my rudolph but 
you know, this reminded me a lot of the old Adam McKay era uh, Will Ferrell sketches yep. from the 90s. Uh, it, it brought me back to some of the some of the best sketches of that time, because let's face it, Will Ferrell was the king of the awkward family <laughs> dinner. Right. Yes. How many sketches has there been uh, revolving around some kind of tension over a shared meal? Yeah, fair point. Yes. The only difference being, you know, different times, you know, you got to kind of bookend your sketch with a, a disclaimer. Yes, we're all <laughs> white people playing natives. You know, this is not the time of, you know, when Will Ferrell could get away with shouting the N-word with the hard R. <laughs> sure. As, uh as Robert Goulet, you know, <laughs> yep. those kinds of risks, they, I, I guess this goes to show you could still take them, but it, it just needs to be framed and delivered a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a little observation there. Okay. No, good insights. Uh, this is the first sketch tonight that really had me roused where I'm going, okay, this, this is smart. This is worthy of a sketch. Uh, this one wrote me in. I liked it. I liked the premise. That if you take the the same out of touch notions that we would hang on the older generation today, that maybe their their way of speaking and their worldview doesn't line up with the more modern, socially conscious woke culture, you you take those out of time farts and you jump back three hundred years where everyone is out of time. Is there a parallel? Is there something that lines up? Can we find some sort of, you know, commonality with, uh, different worldviews colliding? So it is interesting that they take the 1600s and make that just as, a socially sensitive a time as we have now. And so, you know, the old timers are going to still be just as uh, kooky to, to the younger generation. I like that. I like that parallel. I like when a sketch is saying something. Uh, quite frankly, I, I think I liked everything about it because in finding a really strong parallel and repositioning it into a whole nother era and reskinning it so that everyone can look at it comedically without being too close to it. Right. If, if we're talking about socially, uh, sensitive topics in our modern era and everyone's just wearing modern clothes, it's a little hard to take. It's a little cringy because we're identifying with what they're saying and we're taking sides, you know, and we're a little more invested in it, but you throw it back in the 1600s and everyone can just take it a little more lightheartedly. And so everything about this, the, the, the premise and just how easily I was brought into it. I really, really enjoyed. Well, sometimes we listen to the peacock and, and we're rewarded. <laughs> the cra- or some, some people listen to the crazy old Fox and they have a different perspective for some reason. <laughs> uh, yeah. So le- what I found really interesting though, is that in a way, I'm kind of identifying with the grandfather in this situation because we have the historical context of, you know what? The white man showing up, maybe he had an argument about those blankets and, you know, maybe, (laughs) you know, the, the, the threats that he felt weren't as crazy after all with a little bit of history behind them. He knows what's up. (laughs) He knows what's up. Uh, So yeah, a whole lot to take in, in this sketch. And uh, for what it's worth, it's a little challenging too, because it, it does make you question maybe some of the rationales that we have and whether they're founded or whether they're xenophobic, like there's just, there's more questions than answers in this, but because it was such a fun little scenario, it had me engaged and it still got me thinking about what is my takeaway on it? Cause uh, it's not trying to have too strong of a message one way or another. It's just, it really is just a fun little peek in on a, a lost time. And I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. Same. <laughs> this was, this was classic. Will. 
PBS's Cinema Classics takes a closer look at an alternate ending to the beloved 1939 film, The Wizard of Oz. It's it's a fun little sketch that makes you think about, yeah, maybe Dorothy was a little bit kind of hung up on some strange things to come sure. up with that that reality, that imaginary <laughs> dreamland that right. she came up with. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant starting point. Because, as we all know, The Wizard of Oz is a concussion-induced fever dream, and they reveal that everyone that you meet in the movie has an analog in real life. You've got, you know, the farmers, the scarecrow, and blah, 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 and the witches, Mrs. Gulch, or whatever. So (laughs) it stands to reason, if those characters have analogs in real life, who the hell were the munchkins? (laughs) Like, that's that is a fantastically funny question to ask. And then you get the, just the added cherry on top of how uh, socially inappropriate it kind of is to take uh, people of that stature and, you know, paint them as somehow ridiculous because of their size. So yeah, you get that, that modern caution of trying to give all people dignity. That wasn't a factor in the thirties when the wizard of Oz was made, you overlay that on top of an very obvious question of, okay, where did they come from? You know, you got these, these munchkins running around in overalls and lollipops doing these bizarre dances with their weird twirly haircuts. What is it in Dorothy's subconscious that was conjuring that? And then you see the dolls and then you see, you know, all the, the townspeople that, um, obviously she's, (laughs) uh, she's uh, absorbed into her dream. Uh, great. Really, really great. I love this as a concept for a sketch. And I, I feel like where they went with it was really, really good. I like that Will Ferrell's character is the one that begins to clue in to kind of how Dorothy sees them. He's the first one to sort of unravel the mystery and he starts to get incensed and he like tries to hold her feet to the flame and like scolds or yells at her a little bit there. So yeah, you, you get fun escalations as they explore this material and, and you begin to unravel the mystery and see the dolls and all the rest of it. So yeah, this is perfectly fun. Great, great sketch. Let's talk moment of the night. What do you got? Probably unpopular, but I really like the uh, the game show buzzers popping up in the middle of the debate. <laughs> All right. Like, I didn't even notice that those buzzers were out of place. I was like, okay, okay, they're buzzing in. And then it wasn't until they actually mentioned, I don't know how you got buzzers, right. that I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's a game show thing and totally not a presidential debate right. thing. But yeah, I guess that's part of the brilliance of it. That was, it was just so expected in that kind of atmosphere that it went unnoticed. Yeah. I like that Rachel Maddow goes with it. She's like, I don't know how you got them, but for some reason these buzzers serve a purpose and I'm going to acknowledge their validity, you know, and let this stand. Uh, So yeah, that that was a fun little gag. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. You got one. I think I'm going with the moment in the wizard of Oz alternate ending sketch where Will Ferrell unloads on Dorothy and like demands an answer from her. Right. When he starts getting mad. Yeah. Yeah. I like that moment because one Will Ferrell does angry incensed really, really well. Like that's, that's one of his go-to modes. So it it is nice when that gets put on display. But what I really liked is how much it kind of told you about what was happening with that character. I thought this sketch had a really competent little beat in it where he starts to understand the nature of Dorothy's thinking 
And he never understood it before. It, it never occurred to him that she saw him as anything less than just the doctor. Yes. And it really cuts deep and it really shakes his core, you know, <laughs> self-worth. And Will Ferrell is great at just putting that all out there in this, you know, incensed little demand that he throws out there. So that was just a, a really great little character moment. And it's what propelled that sketch. It's what kind of shocked the audience into realizing, okay, there's some stakes here. So people's feelings are going to get hurt. Let's see where this goes. So I like that. I thought that was a, a, a great moment in the middle of a sketch that helped keep the energy and helped get it to the next gear. I'll give it to that. Not bad. Best sketch. I think I am liking that, uh, that native American mm. Thanksgiving sketch. Yeah. For uh sketch of the night. Okay. It was just a risk. They knew it would be the catalyst for some backlash. There's no way around that. Yeah. So you got to respect making the move they did when they know that it's probably going to be some kind of a headache involved with dealing with the backlash. Sure. But what have you? It's, it's why I love this show. They, they keep it edgy and what is edgy and, and, and what dances on that line acceptably may change over the years, but they're always in tune to that. Sure. And this is an example of how they continue to evolve and, and still push the boundaries while, in my opinion, still staying within what is acceptable. Okay. Yeah. It, that sketch was thought provoking and I still can't quite figure out where I land on it because it, it makes two uh, competing points. One that the old timers aren't maybe all that crazy sometimes when they're a little skeptical of the way the world's changing around them. But then on the other hand, sometimes those old views can be a detriment on society when maybe they feed into something that is pernicious or, you know, contributes to hate or whatever. So you've got, (laughs) you've, you've got maybe the validity of the argument in the 1600s and then less so in our modern era. And we're supposed to figure out what the message is in between all of that. And I just kind of like that. It it got me thinking and, and just trying to sort that out for myself. So, uh, it was definitely one of the more thought provoking sketches for the night, but I am going to go with the music video where the two high schoolers have a house party and their AP English teacher shows up and, uh, has a, a serious midlife crisis or yet so much more than just a midlife crisis in the middle of their weekender. I think that that was just a fun idea, a fun idea. That's perfect for Will Ferrell. I like that it was handled very competently and the joke grows with the song and crescendos with the song. I just, I like when a piece kind of comes together in all the ways that it needs to come together. And I I feel like that this is a good demonstration of a really nicely formed musical pre-tape and, uh, yeah, just genuinely funny too. You know, there was a lot of solid jokes there in the middle of, of all the things that he's trying to get himself involved in at the party that obviously he sticks out like a sore thumb and eventually his wife tracks him down. And, you know, you get that little moment at the end where he's just sort of shamed and escorted out. Yay. Fun. Delightful. Yeah. Another good pre-tape in a season full of good pre-tapes. And you picked what I would have picked had it not been for what I picked. So <laughs> thanks for picking it. Very good. Okay. MVP. MVP is Will Ferrell. All right. It's a Will Ferrell show. It's almost impossible for it not to be Will Ferrell as the MVP. He's just that kind of host that's going to basically take the lead in almost every sketch. He's the reason he was hired onto SNL because he just works well Mm -hmm. in that capacity. So yeah, it is 
of course him. And especially for the reason that he's not relying on a whole lot of recurring characters, you know, not playing the greatest hits card. He's doing original stuff, new stuff. And it's all every bit as good as anything else he's done on the show. So yeah, I mean, who else are we going to pick here? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No, I'm in total agreement. When someone like Will Ferrell comes to the show, it is his show. You know, there's a handful of people that we can point to where that's the case, where everyone at the show knows what they can do with them and they all just play well together and come up with fun stuff that, uh, in this case, Will Ferrell can drive. He's, he's not just a participant. He's usually the center focus, the, the crazy in the sketch. And when you see a lot of that in an episode and the rest of the cast is serving his crazy and nobody's really upstaging him in any way. It's hard to make an argument for anyone else and no one else is coming to mind. I'm right there with you. Will Ferrell for the win. Woo. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? I think I'll give it a great. Okay. And maybe it's just because Will Ferrell's presence puts the widest grin on my face. And maybe I am so compromised uh, in that position that you could sell me the most uninspired drivel you could think of and I'll <laughs> eat it up. Okay. All I can say is this felt like a great episode to me. I just had so much fun with it. I really did feel like the material was of a good standard mm-hmm. and it was just executed brilliantly as you would with someone like Will Ferrell at the helm. So yeah, I think this is, this is great in my books. Okay. As I'm trying to step back and look at the show as a whole, the first thing that stands out is that we did not have a single crash and burn moment beyond arguably the cold open. The cold open for me was pretty lackluster and I've kind of gotten to the point with their political stuff where I sort of just go into it saying, I'm just going to keep that in its own box. Like I'm going to try and assess the show without it because I think SNL is between a rock and a hard place with their political stuff. They're expected to talk about it, but they're just isn't always anything great to say. And, you know, sometimes you just, you end up with those lackluster, uh, forgettable cold opens. This show suffered from that, but it didn't really suffer from anything else. Everything else was at a minimum passable and just good, solid, decent material. So what I'm trying to figure out is, is there anything that goes far enough beyond decent beyond solid, good material that I feel like it squarely puts the show in great. And I don't think we quite got there. I think we had a right down the middle weekend update. I think we had too much political stuff. You know, I I really only want one political outing per show. So when they, they box themselves in and feel like they got to do essentially two cold opens, I feel like that's way too much of the show getting eaten up on stuff that I don't really care about. And because of that, you know, you get a show that, uh, I'm sure they had to cut a lot of stuff this week. You know, we got a back half that had two sketches and I think that's probably because of how much political stuff we had. So I don't think that that was helping the show as much as it's nice to have a lot of cameos and they did as much as they could with that democratic debate. So even though that was passable, I don't think that that in and of itself help make the show great. And then you have a couple really, really solid sketches, one that's thought provoking and another one that's a little twisted and one solid pre-tape, one forgettable pre-tape. So again, we're just, we're dancing right around that middle ground of everything's good, but I just don't feel there was quite enough. That was great for me to say, yeah, this is a season high. I, I just don't think we're quite there, but I am absolutely loving that. There isn't anything I can point to aside from the political stuff tonight that I don't feel had a really good starting point, a really good premise 
and a really funny core that was mined efficiently. I, I just, I feel like the writing has been very, very even so far this season. And sure. that's a trend that's got me hopeful. I'm still waiting for a breakout show where I can just unabashedly say, oh, that one knocked my socks off end to end. They just killed it. Uh, I hope we get one of those soon because as much as I enjoy a competent SNL, like a season like this, where every week you tune in, you get some good laughs. That's fine. You know, I'm coming back next week, but I'd still like something more fun to say about the show. Then, you know what? It's doing fine. I want to be able to say, oh, we've got these black jeopardy moments. I'm looking at you, Jennifer Lopez. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. We got on you. We got three more shows for the, um, 2019 front half run. And we've got Eddie Murphy capping it all off where if ever they could figure out something inspired to pull from his back catalog and maybe create a fun fusion, uh, that would be it. So could there be a great show coming up in December? Man, I hope so because we've had a, a whole lot of good stuff. I'm just ready for a great one. Me too, man. Beautiful. That's a cast. Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Justin Gardner, Carissa Eubank, Aaron and Trader, Donald Yates, and Neil Weinstein. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week with Mario Lanza and Joni Newman's November Month in Review. But until then, this has been episode number 94 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks to uh, King Princess, Al Baldwin, Ryan Reynolds, Tracy Morgan, Maya Rudolph, Larry David, Rachel Dratch, Woody Harrelson, Fred Armisen. Thanks so much, everyone. Good night. Hi, folks. I'm Will Ferrell. And if you're anything like me, you know there's a lot of problems in this crazy, crazy sketch. I mean, white actors playing natives? What is this, 2014? But no matter what year it is, or what color we are, or whether we get our news from a fox or a peacock, one thing's for sure. None of us can digest corn. And that's what's important. Happy Thanksgiving.